Yo, check us out. Chuck D, public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DLC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Z-Man. What up, dog? This is Eshaw. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This is your boy, DJ Paul KOL for 36 Young Busy Bone. Vice One. This is your man, Matt Mine, the Hell Razor. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you listen to me on the Murder Master Music Show. Try to stay as far away from it as I can. 
Yeah, me too. Me too, okay. man. Uh, it, it is scary. Cause, um, it's scary you know, and it's a shame. All the lives that was lost, man. You know, that's very saddening. You know, that it, it didn't really have to happen like that. And that's, that's very sad to see so many people lose their lives, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all because, of, uh, you know, people uh, are brainwashing and thinking it was a hoax. It's real. It's, um, you know, like you said, it's killed scores of people. You know, if I go anywhere, I wear a mask, uh, hand sanitizer, religious with that, and I keep my distance, you know, um, until I know this is this is safe. But um, you you do a lot of great work. You go out and you speak to people. Um, I know that's affected you. How have you um, altered that through this COVID? Are you able to do, like, um, you know, live stream things, or how do you handle uh, your yes. speaking page? Well, I I've been doing uh you know been doing some virtual things like that. I've I've been doing some virtual things, but uh went out on like uh two things. You know, we kept our distance and everything, and uh, you know, but this has actually slowed things down a lot. But we managed to navigate through it and still you know get the get get that message out and everything because even though you have the pandemic. The other problems still exist, you know, and so we still, I still need to get that word out there and still share my story, you know. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A- absolutely. Um, now um, we know you. Uh, you know, you went to jail in, in uh, 1980, I believe. But let's go back a little yeah. bit further. Uh, first of all, where yeah. are you from, Maxwell? I'm. I'm originally. I'm from uh, Glassburg, New Jersey, but I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is actually right next to Philadelphia. It was rated one of the worst cities in America. And that's the city that I grew up in. You know. Yeah, uh what what was your childhood like, uh, Maxwell? My childhood, uh, growing up and I, I think I had a pretty rough childhood. Now when I say rough, I'm saying as far as uh you know, just the environment, growing up in the environment that I grew up in and being surrounded so by, by so much negativity out in the streets and me wanting to be, you know, before my time, I wanted to be a teenager way before my time. And so, you know, I, I gravitated more to the streets than my other brothers gravitated towards home and things. You know, I gravitated towards the streets and got caught up in the street life at a very early age. <laughs> Excuse me. Like my first first time I was arrested, right? I lived, uh, you had Rutgers University, the college, which is on the other side of the bridge of the Ben Franklin Bridge of my house. And around that area, it's very beautiful, right? Green grass, tennis courts, and all that. And right, you walk under the underpass, I'm over there in the hood looking down, torn down houses and different things. So I used to like to go over and hang out at the college. And as a result of me going over there hanging out at the college, security guard told me to stay away from there, told us to stay away from there. And uh, one day I just happened to have my dog with me. And at that time the security guard didn't carry guns, and uh, he told me to get off the grounds. So I sucked my dog on him, and my dog chased the security guard. And, uh, you know, I ran. He didn't catch me that day, but he caught me a week later going to the shoe shop. And uh, from there, 
he took me to juvenile detention. I had to go to court. My mother had to sign me out. And I think that was somewhat of some of the start right there. Once going in there that very first time, I think that had a little impact, a little impact on me, you know. What was going through your mind as a young kid entering into the juvenile detention center? Um, you know, were you well, scared? Uh, no, no, I wasn't scared or anything at that time. As I said, that's what I think that contributed to me because in this particular, in, my, in, in New Jersey, this particular uh, juvenile detention center, they took us horseback riding and took us... Uh, Swimming took us to the drive-in movies and all these types of things like that. And as I said, I wasn't doing a lot of them things uh, growing up as a kid, going horseback riding and all those things right there. So at some point, that might—I I don't think it was a big deal at that particular time. And yeah. you know, once coming home, you know, I got in other trouble. You know, I started hanging out with guys. Uh, you know, started getting high, getting involved with drugs at a very early age, about the age of uh, 13, actually, age 12, I started. And What you know, did you start uh, with? I started with uh, marijuana. From uh, marijuana, I started uh, popping different pills. And from popping different pills, I actually... Uh, you know, I used to have money. I used to do a little odd jobs and stuff. And uh, I actually allowed a friend to convince me to try some heroin. And the only reason that he was able to convince me that particular day, he didn't have any money. And, you know, like I said, he was a childhood friend. And uh, I allowed it. And I tried it. And from that moment, you know, I didn't really know what to expect from it. But I think I, I, I judged it as feeling kind of good and, uh, you know, of him saying you want to try it again. And so, you know, I got involved with that. And I started using heroin at a, a very early age. I was arrested one time, and I had no clue that I was actually addicted when I had went to court. And I'm up in the courtroom, and I'm all sick and everything. And um, they happened to notice. At a very early the age, they right there in the courtroom. Yes, then my mother had to sign. They put me in a twenty twenty one day detox program while I was in, incarcerated in the youth house. I think I was the first in the state, actually in my state. And so for twenty one days, you know, to detox. And you know, like as from there, I got out and I got you know more involved in uh, different things like hanging out on the corners with the guys and. You know, just doing different things. They stealing cars, I'm riding stolen cars, and all those types of things. And it had a lot to do with environment. You know, mostly environment because that's all that was surrounded by me. Seeing the bigger guys doing things, they were the cooler guys with the money, girls, the cars, and all that. And we wanted to emulate that. So I grew up before my time. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, man. That the heroin, when you first tried it. Uh, you know, break down the, uh, the the feeling that you have if you can you know, remember that. I I can't exactly remember that. I just know that I thought I felt good. I didn't know what to really expect from it, and so I told them I didn't really feel it. Is what I thought at first, and 
you know, again, as I say, I wanted to try it. And I, all I know was, was it was just like, you know, I was in the nine stuff and that uh, I just had this feeling what I thought was actually a, a good feeling at the time, you know. And, um, you know, but uh, what that did do to me, but, it, you know, that was a, it turned into a disaster and everything, you know. It started and craving. Became, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know I had to have it. I had no clue of what an addiction was at that time. No clue of why. And so, you know, all of us start using for different reasons, but all of us keep using for the same reason. And that same reason is because we became addicted to it. You know, so you know, became a driving uh, force in your everyday life and uh, how you live. Yeah. And, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I, I became more involved with it as a result. My sister had got killed, right? And you know, she was like my best friend. And um, you know, as a result of her getting killed, I really stressed out. Then, you know, I didn't care. I just stopped caring about a lot of things, and I got became more involved with it. I became hanging out in the streets more and doing it even more. You know, my sister was, uh, you know, killed as a result of the domestic violence relationship, and uh, my little nephew had gotten thrown out of a second story window. But he just happened to survive. He was age two, you know. So that had an impact on me. And that also, I believe, steered me in a different direction of bitterness and everything, you know. So I think that played yeah. a role, you know. Yes. Your sister, your sister murdered, and uh, your nephew was was thrown out of a second-story w- window. How did he survive? Did he, like, uh, break his legs or? No, no, no. He didn't. He didn't break his legs. Uh, no, he didn't break his legs. He was in the hospital for some time. But uh, I'm going to tell you of the impact that it had on his life. It kind of like, um, it kind of like screwed him up in the head. And you know, growing up, he had all types of issues with it. And um, you know, he had some real serious mental issues as a result of that. I don't know if he was mentally damaged because of the fall and being thrown out. And you know, he was trying to do all the right things when he grew up with his life, but that would always take more uh, impact over everything else. He was he was aspiring to be a nurse, nurse's aide. He had to actually become that. But uh, he had one drug possession. That one drug possession, once he got hired, they looked at his record. It barred him from being a nurse. So he got caught up into using and everything, and he eventually OD from it. Oh, yes. man, I'm so, terribly sorry to hear that. Uh, you know, and, and his mom, she, she was a victim of domestic violence, huh? Yes, absolutely. I think yes. it's the same yes. person that was beating her through uh, uh, your nephew out the window. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was the same person. Yes, that had uh, thrown him out the window also. And uh, so those things all, you know, wasn't a number of one factor. It was a number of factors that influenced and, and played a role in my 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 you know growing up, you know, and. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, besides that, you know, home and everything, you know, when you just learn in violence and, you know, you're surrounded by things that's going on around you out there, these things definitely have 
impact on us. You know? Yeah. And um yes, absolutely. So this is some of the things I try to you know, my story and I try to share with some of the other people, kids and adults and all, of how to seek help and everything as a result of some of these things because trauma of all of it, man. Trauma and trauma is terrible, you know. Yes, and when something happens similar to that, it can send all those feelings right back in your head and to send you in a a tailspin, you know. So that's why we even have to get help with such things as trauma, being traumatized growing up as kids and all, you know. Yes. Yeah. And so I I can – I could absolutely see, you know, uh, where your life was heading after all these events. It's almost like, Maxwell, you didn't have a chance from the get-go, you know. And um, you being here today talking to us is is just, um, you know, inspiration in itself, man. You know, real talk. And and you're not uh, the first one that, yes. No, I was just going to say, man, it's, it's very inspiring. Yes, yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm I'm glad to know that, and I wish that it would be inspiring to others so that they don't have to go down that same path or travel that same road that I travel because it wasn't a good one. It was very ugly. No, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, now, when when your sister died, did did um, you know? Were you uh, still using heroin at that time, or did the uh, usage yeah, pick yes, up? Yes, I was. No, I was I was still using. I was using, no, I started using more. Oh, boy. More. I started, yeah, I started using more of it, you know. And, um, you know, I just got, like I said, I had no, no, I had no clue that I was actually addicted to it. And then after that, um, that was one of the main reasons. That was the reason that I was sent to prison with a life sentence. It was because of the fact of over heroin. You know, because I had given my money to someone to purchase some for me, and uh, he didn't give me, he didn't have my money on my drugs. And me and another friend had went out, and he didn't just sell anybody. So we were still younger. We had to get somebody else to get it from him, and we gave the money to the guy. And uh, he finagled me out of the money. And uh, when I asked him where were the drugs or the product, he said someone robbed him or beat him or something. So I actually went up to the person that he got it from, and he said he gave it to him. So after that, you know, he pulled up in a car, and I looked down. It was a gunman on the car seat. He belonged to my friend. And I had seen my friend, the one that, you know, I was charged with killing. I had just seen him moments before. I hadn't seen him in three years. We grabbed each other and gave each other hugs and everything. And as I was talking to him, Everybody yelled, Maxwell, Maxwell, the car is out of gear. The car had went in reverse. I ran over to the car, as I say, to put it back in park. And, you know, as I did that, I seen the guy pulling up, him and his friend in a truck. And I seen the gun down on the floor. I grabbed it. And I went over there. I believe I slapped him with the pistol or something. I said, I want my money or my drugs. He said, I don't have either. So he took off running. And I began recklessly firing. I fired like four shots and a stray bullet hit my best friend who I had just spoken with who was coming out of the side door of a bar and 
I didn't know anyone had got hit at all until a crowd of people began walking over to me and said, why you do that to the guy? He did nothing to you. I said, why'd I do what to who? I didn't do nothing to nobody. What are you talking about? And so, you know, from there, you know, I, I, I became very frightened of what I had just done and everything, and and I took off. But I also didn't know who had got hit. I learned that five, six days after the crime, who the person was that actually got shot. And you find I was out. in New uh, through the paper and through people because I had left. I went to New York and I had left the state, for, you know. And when I heard that the person was on life support and everything and who it was, you know, I um, went to turn myself in. And, and during the process, the result of turning myself before I could, they had apprehended me. You know, as I was leaving to do it, they didn't give me that chance, and they were supposed to give me the chance. But they apprehended me. I um, I went to trial. It wasn't intentional or anything. So the guys had come up with a story. Hey, um, you know, I, I told them that I was there to recover my money. So the state was trying to charge me with robbery, right? during the commission of a crime, but there was case law that say I couldn't be charged with a robbery for trying to recover my own money. And so they charged me with knowingly and purposeful murder. And the reason that they charged me with knowingly and purposeful, even though there was no mistake, is that I tried to avoid apprehension. So therefore they say I was aware of somewhat what was going on because I left the scene of the crime. So that kind of turned it into something even more different. But one of the most tragic things of this was when his sister then came to visit me in the county jail when everybody had said Maxwell did it, Maxwell did it, and they said, uh, Maxwell didn't do that. There's nothing my brother could have done to him to, for him to do this to him. And so when they came to visit me and she asked me, she said, Maxwell, did you, you know, kill my brother? I say, if my bullet I was that I know of, I was the only one out there firing that night, and as a result, that was my bullet, yes. So that was very hurting for me and everything, you know? And they knew it was an accident, actually. And, you know, they supported me. We're friends and everything up until this day right now. We've, uh, me and the sister have actually done uh, engagements together. She's oh, actually wow. an author herself. She's actually an author, and I believe in domestic violence, so we share that. And she was abused by uh, her former husband, who's a police chief, so she put a book out called Hidden Behind the Badge. So when she has events, I go and talk because I can share the story of my sister as well. So we share that. Yes, absolutely. You know, that's amazing that, um, you know, she um, was able to, to to see that it was an accident and forgive you. That had to have uh, um, helped a little bit. I mean, uh, nothing's going to bring back it your helped, friend. But. Yes, yes. It helped lessen it. Not that it was listening. It. it did help ease it somewhat, the pain. I mean, the pain was still there, but it helped ease the pain for them some. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's a beautiful thing that the both of you can speak together um, and and inspire others with your stories. 
that's that's amazing right there. I'll tell you what we're going to do, uh, Maxwell. We're going to go to a song. Then I'm going to come back and yeah. we're going to talk about the life of, uh, as well as Scared Straight and everything and, and when you touched down and got involved with that. The song I have yeah. here is uh, actually, uh, I'm going to let you pick. I got two of them loaded. I got One Life to Live and Belly of the Beast. Yeah. Uh, which one would you prefer, uh, uh, Max? Uh, one Life to Live. One Life to Live. All right. We'll be right back yeah. with Maxwell of the Lifers Group. Don't go nowhere. Drugs, you got one life to live. Don't sell drugs, you got one life to live. Don't sell drugs, you got one life to live. Everybody, you only got one life to live. I left the home when I'm alone, couldn't live on the phone. Oh, I'd wait, hate till they got to get your own. Bu
hell cause you got one life to live. Don't come to jail cause you got one life to live. Just take heed cause you got one life to live. Everybody you only got one life to live. Yo, yo, I reminisce of the way back. Being born to a door. Any negative vibes, yes sir, take a dark court. That's how it was done when I was running the bricks to a click. Easy vix, even honey that gobble this. Nobody was spared, not saying that it should have been. The evil I felt inside dropped behind a silly grin. But when it was time to roll, eliminate foes. Al was dead, small as hell, blowing holes. But yo, I wasn't knocked for the use of a strong arm. So don't think death. If do, you'll be dead wrong. Because I'm here for keys, as I said in the last field. I glorifying crime, all your reapers the falls and grills. Things got rough, I had no other alternative but strive to live. Man, fuck being positive. Yo, that was the life 21, and I'm sung. Now I'm on my DL, 209021. Check it out, sisters, you got one life to live. Check it out, brothers, you got one life to live. Don't sell drugs, cause you got one life to live. Don't come to jail, cause you got one life to live. Just take heed, cause you got one life to live. Everybody, you only got one life to live. to the prison. And the first prison I went to was Trenton State Prison. 
That was one of New Jersey's roughest prison, meaning Trenton was the last stop for the state of New Jersey. That's the first prison that I went to. And when I first went there, I got sent to solitary confinement for 90 days because of the confrontation with the officers. So after that, I got out of there, out of solitary. And uh, from there, I had gotten several disciplinary reports and everything because I had issues with how the police talked to me and everything. And I wasn't used to that. And so me mouthing back, you know, I got beat up, you know, a few times by the police. And, you know, I had issues with how they talked to me. And, um, you know, I had con- a couple confrontations in there, you know, while in there. Just the line. I'm a young kid. Uh, and, you know, I had to protect myself. So, you know, had I let one guy get away with it, this is a true story. I was going to visit one day, right? So uh-huh. I'm walking. I'm, these visits, we had to go out of the building to go. And when you're going out of the building, you're going past the, the mess hall. So the guys that work in the kitchen, right, they can be at the big gate. So as I'm walking by, somebody throwing me some kisses and everything, right? You know, like you find, and you know, I don't want to cuss really, I don't, but you find little sweet this and that and that, right? So I'm like, what? You know, so he said, you heard what I said, you heard what I said, right? So I said, all right, I said, we don't see each other. So I go to my visit, and I worked up in the ODR, which is the officer's dining room. I had to go down to the big kitchen to get the food to bring up. And, you know, so they got a a, a basement there. When the trucks unload, you, you slide the boxes down the thing, and, you you know, they go down there and they stack them. So me and the guy went down. He said, meet him down there. I met him down there. But when I got down there, he was waiting with an iron pipe. And at that moment, he could have killed me at that moment. The only reason that it didn't go down like that, because some guys that knew me and everything, said, no, y'all going to get a fair one. Y'all going to get a fair one. So, you know, we got a fair one at that time. But if them guys wasn't there, the guy could have killed me with that pipe. So from that day on, I really learned there was no fair fight in prison, really. That's what I, That was my first wake-up call to no such thing as fair fight. You know? And, uh, you survived that. Any way yeah, you can. Because I, yeah, and I, I wouldn't be here right now, you know, if it wasn't for those guys. Like, no, you're going to give them a fair one. You're going to put that back. You're going to put that pipe down. You know? So, you know, I live to be able to tell that story. And so, you know, uh, from there... You ever run into that guy again? Uh, Yeah, I ran into him. Yeah, I ran into him. I ran into him several times after that. We wasn't, you know... It, you know, it was done. It was said and done at that point. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ran into each other. It was just said and done at that point. You know? He recognized that, you know, he wasn't just going, you know, talk slick and all that. He learned, you know, and... That I was by myself, but really I wasn't by myself in a sense, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. he had been there a long while. He'd been established, and when you establish in there, sometimes, you know, some guys get a little clout and stuff. You know, they used to it. They learn all the movements and moves and all that in prison and how to get around everything, and you know those types of things. Yeah. You know. Well, you um, you go through all this. And eventually, I think it's like uh, what about five or six years later after you get in? Yeah. That 
become involved yes. with the Lifers group? Yes, I ended up. Uh, Rawway had a, a a mini ride, right? and I had written, and I I was on good behavior after like seven years in in uh, Trenton. So I had requested, you can request transfer. So I had put in administrative transfer. So on a Christmas Eve, Rawway had a riot. And they brought like 60 guys down to lock up down there. And so I remember that night at 1 o'clock, you know, I didn't know what was going on. They come, pack it up, pack it up, you know. And, you know, I got shipped to Rawway. I got to Rawway, you know, got a little familiar. I seen, you know, the scarce rate program and everything was there. And uh, I saw what they was doing. And at that point, you know, um, after being in Rawway for a while, you know, I put in a request, you know, and uh, they accepted me into the group because they try not to allow, they don't allow any guys. If you had child molestation, rape, or anything like that, you couldn't be in a group because they couldn't have you around the kids and different things, you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, the, the screening committee brought me in, you know? Yeah, so from there, it was like early 89, and, you know, rap, you know, had taken on something real big and everything, you know, and had become big, and I, I, I used to look at uh, a video music box with Ralph McDaniels, and I saw that the kids was listening to basically everything that the rappers were saying as far as hairstyles, clothing, and everything. So that came to my mind. Well, if they're listening to them, they're having an influence on them, maybe I can have an influence on them about the realities of everyday prison life, right? So I say Public Enemy spoke about blackness real best. Ice Cube spoke about the streets of Compton at his best. With NWA, I say, but what neither of them can do better than me is talk about the reality of prison life because I'm living it every day. They don't have that upper hand over me, you know? So also, in honor of my victim, I wanted to do something. I didn't just want all bad to come up out of what happened. So in honor of him, I wanted to really be able to have an impact on other people so they didn't end up in my situation. So I became more involved, you know, with the music. And uh, there was a guy, uh, you might have known him, by the name of David Funkenklein. They called him Gangsta Limpin'. And uh, he was in New York. And Hollywood Basic was a rap label that was opening. It was owned by Disney. And, uh, you know, I reached out to him. He had heard of the Scare Street and Lifers group. And so I told him... I wanted to get a message out to the kids and that I had some guys in here that could rap. So he started sending music beats to me and everything. We started exchanging by mail. And then eventually he started coming in. And then, you know, he also brought in some uh, producers from Denmark. But when I first told everybody my ideal, you know, they was laughing at me and everything. Yeah, right. You don't do a record in here. Yeah, right. You know, it was a joke to everybody. Until they seen that letter come from the Walt Disney Company on their stationery, we like to come in and talk to Maxwell Melvin. We like to do a recording with him, right? And so some of them still didn't believe it. So wow. Know. But then some of my other uh, lifers group members, the older ones wasn't with the music because they were older and stuff. So they was like, "Man, you're not coming in here bringing this nonsense in here, man. Come on, man." And then eventually. 
they, you know, they, you know, they took to it after a while. And then in the prison, you would have thought that I was, uh, I don't know, Michael Jackson or somebody. I had half of the prison following after me, trying to be down on the project. You know, everybody wanted wow. to be down. But at first, it was a joke. So I had to Once do that. Uh, they saw it was real, yeah. Yeah, they saw when they seen the car, the camera crews and everything started coming through and all this. It was like everybody was running me down. They used to wait in the hallways for me and everything. You know, I've even had uh, guys trying to push up on me. You know, like you gonna put me down on there? Or y'all ain't gonna have this. You know, I had guys push up on me about that. And oh, uh, how did you, know, you deal with that situation? Man, I mean, I had a. Uh, how did I deal with it? They wasn't going to become a part of it. That was the bottom line. Yeah. And number one, they just wasn't going to become a part of it. You know, I had gotten, I used to get a lot of attitudes from a lot of the guys inside the prison, even the officers. And it becomes so big that, you know, you're going to get haters in every way, right? From yeah. everywhere. You're going to get somebody to hate what you're doing when you're trying to do the right thing. So, you know, I had a lot of guys that, you know, stuff for no reason, you know, just start to hate your guts because of what you were doing. And, like, you know, who he think he is. He think he's all that. And, you know, all that. But it wasn't that. I, I went into something with my heart genuinely. Because if I didn't yeah. go, my, go into this project with my heart genuinely, this project would have never went complete. Because it was hell doing this. It wasn't easy. You know, we did two albums. It was an easy process. It was a lot of work involved. And I was going to see this out at all costs. You know, at all costs, I was going to see this happen. So, yes. Man, you masterminded, to me, one of the dopest hip-hop projects of all time, considering yeah. that your situation, where you were. You know, uh, that's yeah. what makes it so amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, you're talking about the guys from Madness for Real uh, for our listeners that uh, came from Denmark. We had MC or, or we had uh, Nick Coldhands on the show last yeah. year. Yeah. Shout out to wow. homie Eric yeah. Clark for making that happen. But um, you start you start putting this album together. Uh, yeah. You start recruiting a bunch of uh, uh, very talented artists uh, inside, yeah. and you put this out yeah. and. And you end up getting nominated for a Grammy Award for uh, Best Music Video. Uh, yeah. Man, that had to be the icing on the cake. What were they saying after what? that happened? Man, they was out of control. <laughs> Even some of the yeah. guys on the project, they was out of control. But like I said, I had no clue or anything. I didn't put it out for that reason or anything. That was the least thing I ever expected. And like, after all, you saw Madonna won, and uh, you know, and uh, it wasn't that I was trying to challenge it in the first place, but but she won. But a lot of people thought they had us in the wrong category. You know, every the, the public even thought that we should have, you know, gotten it over her, but they don't understand the process, but they even thought so because of its content, you know? Because I got yeah. tons and tons of letters from them. People, you won. Don't worry about it. You won. You won. And I wasn't worried about it. But I remember hearing that in 2020 was in there. And the TV show was recording as we watched the Grammys because they sent me the tickets and invitations and I couldn't go. You know? 
But uh, they sent me the invitation yeah. to attend the Grammys. Yeah, they sent me the invitation, you know, to go to the Grammy. They sent me tickets, and you know, and uh, yeah. And then prison yeah, couldn't I, make I, an exception. Like I mean, even nah. have an armed guard with you. Ah, oh, that's horrible. I, the the yeah. reason that they didn't they the reason they didn't want to make the exception was because I was going in a different jurisdiction too. I was going out of state. You yeah. know, had it possibly been in New Jersey, they would have let me because that's not the first thing. You know, we, we I used to go outside the prison. They used to take us to the state police barracks in handcuffs and shackles because when they was doing seminars and the training. We used to go in there and talk to them about the kids and how they, you know, since a lot of them that was in our criminal justice classes, they're going to be the future judges, leaders, and prosecutors and different things of what could they do different to try to reach the kids before they reach the level of us. So we used to go out to their training and, and, and to teach them, you know? Yeah. So that's why I, I saw, had a uh, time with it. I was, I, I was going to say, I saw the uh, interview uh, in 2020. Uh, they were filming inside yeah. um, while the Grammys was on, and uh, I could see, obviously, yeah. you were visibly upset about it. So you were under the impression yeah. that you had it sealed in the bag. No, it wasn't that. No, no, no. I didn't even anticipate. No, not at all. No, from I them saying, telling I was, you, I mean. I was, oh, I didn't think we had it sealed. I was just, because I didn't fully understand, I was somewhat disappointed. And again, the yeah. reason why I didn't know the process of it, and I thought because of myself, because of its content, that what it involved in everything, I thought there was the possibility, high possibility. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Because of its content yeah. and what the message was, but they didn't. You know, it wasn't that. You know, because Madonna won on her Blind Ambition tour video, Longboard video. That's what the video she won for. You know, and that was just and, basically and, her going on. Tour, just basically on tour and stuff. Yeah, no importance uh, of helping in the community or, or rehabilitating the youth or yeah, I feel you hundred percent, man. Um, but still, though, man, even even if you didn't get yeah. that Grammy, man, just to to get that project out there to the masses at yeah. that time, then to get that um, illumination upon it. Being nominated, I mean, that's something you, you, yeah. you're always going to be able to say. You know what? I put out a project yeah. that was nominated for a Grammy, so that's huge. And you know what? Everybody always tell me when I go on speaking engagement, like some of my coworkers and stuff, they yeah. tell people because I don't talk about it much. So they say, "Go ahead, man. You was always scared to go ahead. You did it. You earned it. Go ahead." I'll be like, "Nah," you know. But they always uh, uh, tell the people themselves, you know. Instead, well, you're a very oh, humble Maxwell individual, also, man. You know, they said Maxwell also nominated. Dude, you weird, man. Come on, you did it weird. You know, and I, I, I like downplayed and stuff, you know, like, and yeah, I, I just like, I don't know, man. I just like, you know, it's great because it probably happened. So I don't hold it so much because it went there already in a sense. You know, I don't, I don't know, but I just don't, you know, I think that was great, but I want to do even greater things, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just getting started. That was something that that um, is is historically locked in time forever. Because uh, uh, again, yes. for our listeners, I want them to understand: you put this project out, 
in the most, you know, dire conditions. You couldn't go on tour and promote it. You couldn't go do uh, uh, autograph signings at record stores. Um, You know, so that's what makes this so much more special as well. Um, But let's uh, let's talk about the future here Um, in one second. I want to bring on the homie Sin from France. He's got a couple questions for you. Um, I think uh, uh, about this project actually. Sin, are you there, brother? Yes. Yes, sir. Hi, Scott. Hi, you doing? hi Maxwell. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. How you doing, my brother? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm fine. Uh, can I tell us about the the song and uh, and the video of uh, Short Life of a Gangster? It was a classic song. Yeah. Well, that particular song, Short Life of a Gangster, was actually about telling the story of a, a real life uh, situation where a kid wanted to be a gangster. And the message in that was, yes, he might have become to that point, but he lived a short life of a gangster. That's what Short Life of a Gangster about. And, you know, one of the other guys in there um, by the name of... Uh, Wow, wow, wow. The divine part was of not listening to his mother and everything, you know? So it was telling the story of actual events and things that had happened in their lives. You know? That's what Short Life of a Gangster was about, actually. And, uh, you know, we had Organized Confusion, who was also on the one of the versions. Uh, they were on there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, so a remix. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, so. This album, Living Proof, is very strong close to the producers. I think about Dr. Jam, Madness for Real, and Fast Five. Uh, yeah. Tell us about these producers for this album. Well, well, the producers for that particular album, no. Jack, Dr. Jam, Phase Five, and them, they produced the first EP. They didn't produce Living Proof. They produced the oh. EP, Life is Group, Life is Group. Mm-hmm. You know? This album was mostly produced by uh, 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 like organized confusion and 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 a, and a few people, you know. And uh, yeah, they they didn't produce the whole album, you know. There was a mixture, you know. But they produced the other album. They produced the whole album, the EP. But working with them, it was uh, you know, it was it was pretty good, you know. We we like uh, worked together, you know. We got along pretty good, you know, and. Uh, as far as them giving direction and different things sometimes, some of the guys had issues with it, like when they was recording because, you know, they thought they knew better and they didn't. They weren't the producers or anything. So some of them thought, you know, they had ideals and, you know, there was a project that had to be done and there were certain things that could be done and there was other things that weren't going to be done, you know, like the content of it. You know, they even did a freestyle on the album, if you listen and the reason that they did we did the freestyle to let them do that to show some of their skills too, you know. We had to have some fun to it, just couldn't be all seriousness, you know. But yeah, the, uh some of them would have possibly done songs about hate and bitterness and everything, but again, the project that wasn't the uh, purpose of the project. So I had to keep people focused. This is the direction that we're going. You know, we're going this direction. We got a message that's got to get out there. And when I went to the guys, I said, look, if you could say something to the kids out there in your own words, I want you to, could you rap that for me? 
And so that's basically what they did. And, you know, talked about their own experiences in their lives and other people's lives too. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we got also to assume Jack you back having Prophet was a dope so can you tell us about this one too? Oh, Jack you back. Uh you remember Ice Cube and them did the one jacking for beats back in the day? Yeah. Oh yes sir. <laughs> All right, so we kinda wanted something similar, but so Jack you back was about so you wanna be a gangster, right? Now, that was kind of like not a joke because it was telling things, but if you listen to the end of it, right, you will hear me saying, this is Maxwell Melvin's from Rawway Prison. Any of you got a problem with what I just did, come and see me at Rawway State Prison, 66064, because you just been jacked. You know, so that was kind of like, you know, that was just, you know, something there, you know. Right there, as I said, there was a little entertainment there also, but it was real, yeah. you know, the, the the things, it was real and everything. Yes. Yeah, the, the scratch was dull, but uh, on the whole, don't try to apprehend. <laughs> really uh, yeah. oh, very, very talented. So, you know, uh, you guys, I mean, a lot of the rappers at the time who were rapping about that stuff, um, I mean, if anybody had the right to, it would be you. You know, um, it would be the lifers group because you guys, yeah, you know, it's, it's real shit. Part of my language, but it's real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because because we was we was living it every day, and we've been there and done that. And mostly out them out there at that time was talking about theirs was fiction, ours was fact. But now, if you was to do it now, though, right now in the time, some of them have been through that and have lived some of that in a way in this day and time. But they don't use that to steer other people and kids' lives away from that. You know what I'm saying? They don't use it in a positive way. You know, they just seem like they tear it down more. And right now, you know, like, it's just crazy right now, this rap industry right now. And the reason I see that it's crazy is not... There's no accountability, man. There's no, um, like... uh, you you mentioned Public Enemy. I was so happy when they dropped uh, What You're Going to Do When the Grid Goes Down uh, this year. Yeah. Just to hear a Public yeah. Enemy record in 2020 was amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right, man. The kids that are rapping, they just, uh, man, it's all about pills. It's all about um, just, just stupid stuff, materialism. Mm-hmm. Um, That's all it's about. It's yeah, there needs to be guidance. Yeah, and they, see, there was rules to this stuff back then. You know, there were yeah. rules to that. They couldn't come out with some of the uh, nonsense that they come out with now. I mean, I'm glad to see that, it, 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 you know, that some of them ain't going to jail. Yes, they're making a living from it, but look, you're making a living off in terror and sending other people to prison and stuff because some of these kids aren't able to differentiate What's fact and fiction? What's real and what's not real? And like these guys, you know, don't really live this life that they talk. They want to pretend that they did. They want to pretend about certain things, but they don't tell them the truth about when you end up in prison and you're in there and you're crying at night and you want to go home and you can't. They don't tell them about all these things, you know? 
how, you know, you're just stressing in there. They don't tell you how your, your, your kids, your wife, your families run off on you and everything. They don't tell you how guys push up on you in there. That is not as simple. They don't tell them about how they take your things in there. They don't tell them about all these things. You know, they just sell them a dream. And yeah. so a lot of a lot of these kids right now, they think it's a joke, a badge of honor, because they, you know, to get locked up. So, and so right now, that's what I, yeah, I keep sharing my story, man. I'm going to keep sharing my story. I don't care how many times I got to tell it. And if, if, if it can help, if it can have an impact and, and turn their lives around, and, and that's what I'm going to do, you know. And I, you know, you know I what? still work with me. Yes. Not to cut you off, but uh, no, go ahead. It's cool. Know, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think it might be time for Lifers Part Two. Have uh, you ever thought about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We thought about that. Uh, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be something coming. There's gonna be something coming. You'll see something coming. You know, I can guarantee you that. I can get. I can guarantee you that. As long as I'm alive, see, something's gonna be coming. You know, and um, yeah, most definitely something's going to be coming through. And you know, I still work with music right now. You know, I work with Die Jim Crow uh, Records right now, and we record currently and formerly incarcerated people. That's all the people that are on our label. If you get a chance, you can you know check it out. You know, Die Jim Crow Records. Yeah, yeah that's what we uh, do. Uh, would like to interview some if I can. We've had uh, many people on the show here, you know, who were from behind the wall. Yeah. Um, you know, they got to be heard too. Yes, most definitely. And some of the music of you here, I would, I will definitely, uh, you know, arrange some of that for you. I would definitely, uh, you know, make the contact for you and every day with some of them. You know, you have some of them out there. You know, they're in Cali, they're all over. They're in Iowa, they're in different prisons and. They went inside the prisons in these different states to record these people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that you know, that thing. can happen. Yes, yes, you know? And um you know, like I said, I just look forward to, you know, sharing this and, and, and music and I, I would just like to see the music rap music change again, you know, just to hip hop and the culture and not just I don't know what this other that's stuff is. And the yeah, elements no. to it, you know, I I've been yeah. covering uh, uh, music uh, for about uh, close to 25 years, and early 2000s, I started to notice the elements were slipping away. Like the DJ wasn't as important as he used to be. You didn't hear the cut yeah. and scratch like you used to. Yeah. Then you know, yeah. graffiti and stuff like that was disappearing, and. and they just it started stripping the elements away till you got to modern day where some guys don't even rap. They just make like weird gurgle noises and put it on a beat. It's like, I don't know what the hell this guy's saying, and I can't yeah. relate. And like you said, it's it's really dumbing the kids down. It's not giving mm. them any kind of substance, nothing to take away from it, nothing to help build their futures up. You know, everybody loves good music, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, also, yeah. everybody wants to have a, a message, too. There isn't that anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and there, you know, the OJs had a song. I don't know if you remember it was called There's a Message in Our Music. 
If you ever hear it, just check it out by the OJs. It's called The Message in My yeah, Music. They're not a rap group, but just, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's a movie, you know? But like. Sam Cooke, you know, Change okay. Gonna Come. I mean, there's there's music out there that uh, it was always about substance. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we need yeah. that now. More than ever. Yeah. That's why I was that's why I was saying, you know, um it would be time for a lifeless project because uh we haven't had nothing like that uh, in a long, long time. Um when you, when you uh look back at that project, um man, what are your thoughts? My thoughts was is that Yes, it was a, a great project, and yes, I would like to see something of to that effect with that type of content in it, and actually people that were there that could really tell them, you know, where you're not just some make, make-believe guys that are telling you this story and sharing these stories with you, and you're not just getting music or entertainment, you're getting, you know, some enlightenment, and maybe you would grab hold of them. You know, maybe as a matter of fact, I told you, um, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the beats from, um, Quincy Black, uh, from Three Six Mafia, beats, uh, is, uh, Quincy Black's manager, but beats, uh, did an interview and beats said that I saved his life as a result of my music. He just told me this two weeks ago. I had no clue. And, uh, if, you know, if you ever want to talk to him, I know his manager, she can make contact for you if you ever want to talk to Beats. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, send him my way, man. Because uh, we've yeah. had Crunchy on the show many times over the years. Crunchy uh, yeah. um, is a good dude. He, uh, yeah. he's, a, he's had the, the highest highs of success, and then he, he yeah. he's dealt with a Lose lot of pain looks. in life. Yeah, you know? yes. Absolutely, absolutely, you know, and so, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, Beats is just one of many that have told me that and shared this story with me, you know, and a lot of times what we, I used to tell the kids, they used to come in, don't end up with a number like I did because in yeah. here you identify by a number, not your name. So I had a kid write a letter one time to me. He says, Maxwell, I hope you're not upset with me, but I have a number now. And yeah, he written me. I have a number, but it's a badge number. He had became a police. He did it in a joking way. Look, I got a number, but it's not the, the number you had. It's the number to my badge. You know. Yeah. And uh, that was a good story to just see that he, you know, he, 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 it caught a lot of them. It caught a lot of their attention, and I know for a fact that it had a lot of impact on a lot of lives out there. And, and that's the great Thank part you. about it. That's what I was going to say, man. It's it's got to make you feel good, knowing that you've dedicated your life to helping others. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. that's a very positive thing. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you know, because yeah, like I said, because of that. Yes, I I when I think about it, sometimes it don't, but other times it seems real relevant to me, important. Like, dude, do you realize you saved somebody's life? You know, at, yeah. at other times, some at, at times though, you know, I don't try to put it back like as a past. It passed. I still try to live it. That's why I do what I do right now. I still do what I do. And yeah. you know, I don't think I'm gonna ever stop doing what I'm gonna do. 
And when I'm telling this story, I'm not just telling the story about prison. I'm telling them, do you see how this project was done in prison? Where there's a will, there's a way. And if you want to do something bad enough, you can make it happen. So I try to tell them to apply that thing to their life. Yes, if you want it bad enough. So I try to apply that thing to them. If I can do this in there, you can definitely do this out here. Not the music, but whatever. You know, as an example. You know? Let me ask you this. Uh, in the Scared Straight program, um, I, I know sometimes there's some kids that are hard to crack. Uh, what, what was your toughest uh, uh, challenge as far as uh, trying to reach a, a, a kid? Well, you had some that, uh, well, I had left at the time, but you had a couple kids that uh, started uh, wanting to bang out with them on the stage. This was about maybe six years ago. I mean, you get some of those kids are challenging, you know, like, because you be up in their face and you talking to them, dude, you don't really want me to do. They'd be like, you ain't going to do nothing to me, nothing, you know? And, and they'll challenge you. A few of them will challenge you right there. But we had guys around them, you know, so they wouldn't really get out of hand. But you've had times when they've gotten out of hand, you know. Some of the kids have gotten out of hand, and they was really willing to challenge. No matter how many guys was up on that stage, they were still willing to challenge us. Any, uh, you know? any of them take a swing at you? I've never had one taking a swing at me. But, yes, they they taken some swings at them. They had a... um. There was a big confrontation there uh, um, a few years ago. Yeah, a few years, well, about five years ago, where they had actually uh, taken a swing at the guys up there. Yes, you know, yes. Seems like and, the uh, kids uh, are getting a lot more, um, you know, uh, like I just don't care nowadays, you know. Well, they they don't. It's not that they get and they don't care about it. They don't. No. I mean, look look at the things before them. Look at a lot of their parents. No discipline, no anything. But sometimes you can still have a parent in the house do anything for that kid, and that kid can still turn out like that, you know? So we can't really blame it on the parents. It's just that, I mean, nobody has the answer. We don't know what's happened to them, really, you know, because I've never seen anything like this. They have no regards for human life. They just walk out there and just blow somebody's brains out for nothing because he looked at me this way or because he did this that way. And they think nothing about it. They have no value in life, not any value in life, you know. And I just wish that they would wake up. And you would have thought that COVID would have slowed a lot of things down, but it didn't. It's COVID, you know, because they're it's still doing the down. same thing up. They're still doing the same thing out there. But, again, some of them can be reached. We can't give up on them. We can't give up on all of them. Some of them can be reached, and some of them won't be reached. But you can't. we can't save them all. But we'll be able to save some of them, you know, most definitely. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's why I do what I do. You know, a lot of yeah. them don't, don't have any self-love. And when they don't have that self-love, they don't care. I remember being uh, 14, 15 years old. I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I was, I, all I was trying to do was, was get high, ride around my yeah. friends, 
if we were getting chased by cops, I, I thought it was cool. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, yeah. I, I was on a path to, to going where you went, man. And uh, yeah, yeah. I was fortunate. My parents got me out of the situation, you know, moved me away from, yeah. you know, uh, the trouble before I, I was there. But, yeah, I get, yeah, kids sometimes, man, they just don't care. They lose yeah, it's, all it's sense hard. of um, empathy, uh, remorse. And any any type of feelings, any type of feelings. Like I just said, some of them will blow your brains out and wouldn't think twice. They wouldn't yeah. think twice about it. They turn on their own parents, their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters. They just don't care. But I said if we can save some of them, then it's worth it if we can save some, you know. So I'm yeah. going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, to try to reach as many of them as I can, and some of them do listen. Though they listen, some of them really do listen, and they go a different direction. They go a different path. Some of them, they really do. If I didn't yeah. think so, I wouldn't. I wouldn't keep telling my story. Well, I'll, you know? I'll tell you what. I commend you for continuing to tell your story, and I really would like to have you on again um, another episode or two in the future, if you don't care. Um, because uh, it was it was great talking to you, and uh, I hope our listeners can get some inspiration out of this. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. Because you know they're hearing it from somebody you know that's really lived it, was really about it, and can really tell them that it's not worth it, and can tell them the real consequences, and that most people that when they go out and they kill somebody. They didn't wake up that day and think that would happen or say that I'm going to go out and kill somebody. So they got to know that the slightest thing sometimes can lead to that. And they don't just have to go out and kill nobody to end up in prison. They can be with the wrong crowd, the wrong guy. We pull up to the store, right? He tells you he's going in the store to get a pack of cigarettes. Next thing you know, he's running back out to the car with a bag of money. Police pull you over. What do you think they're going to do? You were an accessory, even though you had no control over what he did. So they need to understand that, too. You can end up in there for the rest of your life just because you were there with them. You didn't have to pull yeah. through that. You know? Yeah. They're not going to believe that. They're not going to believe that you were just riding in the car, he got out, and he ran in, and he robbed it, and you didn't know. They're not just going to go for that, even though it could be true. So that's what I try to also explain to them, you know? Yeah. Anything to reach these uh, these kids, you know. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, like I said, it was great talking to you, uh, Maxwell. I want you to stay safe and uh, keep doing what you're doing because you're needed. And uh, I want to give you the floor before we get out of here, though. Um, if we missed anything or you want to bring up something, man, it's all yours, brother. No, I'm just basically, you know, that people can reach out to me. You know, I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram and, and things, you know. I'll respond to them, you know, kids or anybody, you know. I, I'll respond to them, you know, whether on Twitter or Instagram, you know. If you're all right, I'll give my handle from Instagram. It's Melvin782. And, you know, if they don't believe it, you know, they, they write me, I'll write back to them, you know. And I just like to say... I just like to hope that I can keep having an impact on these kids that are out there. And uh, 
I really uh, appreciate this uh, very much. You afforded me the opportunity to come on here and to, you know, share my message and my words of encouragement. You know, I, I appreciate that very much because I've heard about the murder music joke for the longest. You know, well, for I, long and I, uh, it's an honor for you to, uh, you know, what I'm saying, want to come on this platform because. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very familiar who you are, and like I said, you know, yeah. I, my, you know, my favorite thing to do before I started getting into trouble, you know, around '93, '94, that's when I started getting a little crazy. But prior to that, yeah. my favorite thing to do was go to the record store and uh, get tapes and CDs as a kid. Uh, I'd save yeah. up all the money I get, and I'd try to get one a week if I could. Maybe sometimes yeah. one every other week, you know. If I was lucky, maybe yeah. two a week, you know. But yeah. I, you know, I remember buying that, and I, I, I thought back then, like I said, that was such a um, honorable thing to do, you know. Um, yeah. You know, and I commend you for that, and I commend you for the work you're doing now. Um, yeah. Man, we're gonna get out of here, uh, Maxwell. We're gonna go, right. uh, this one, Belly of the Beast. Uh, you kind of outro this song for us. Uh, describe it. Uh, the Belly of the Beast was uh, just guys telling the stories of how they got in there. You know, like everybody, you know, telling their story. Like, you'll have one of the guys in there, uh, they're telling you what it's also about in there. But you have one guy sharing his real story of somebody that misled his brother and had his brother strung out. So he went after the dealer. And he took the dealer out. There's people really telling their real stories. That's what the belly of the beast is about. You know, well, that's what's up. I want to thank you, uh, Maxwell, for uh, coming on the show tonight. Uh, very, very uh, inspirational interview. Shout out to Sin over there in France. Uh, this is Belly of the Beast Lifers Group. Keep supporting uh, Maxwell Melvins, and uh, you know, what I'm saying, make sure that uh, you support the Lifers Group as well. Hey, 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 my name is Golden Boom. I'm one of the ones who didn't listen. I've been in prison for 14 years. This record ain't no joke. Learn the dispense of our sorrows. And don't end up in the fellas of
Just like you, I have all the answers I've been there. 